You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. Romans 8:28 through 30. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. You all may or may not know that preachers occasionally get comments on their sermons. Bob Hamblin, uh, English professor at SEMO, has been trying to help me to understand the difference between you and me and you and I and when to use those. And so far as I can tell, one needs a physics degree in order to understand that. Not long ago, I received an email from somebody that said, Dear Pastor Tyler, I don't like your sermons. I feel like you use too many cliches. I sent an email back that said, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I've not seen them here in worship since then. You know, cliches are cliché for a reason. They're usually based in some sort of truth. One of my favorite cliches is, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. We've all heard this before. Maybe someone told it to you during a dark moment in your life. You've said it to others. To try to encourage. I searched this week on where this phrase comes from, and it's very interesting. This phrase first appears in 1915 in the New York Times in an obituary for the dwarf actor Marshall Pinckney Wilder. That's what I spent my week looking up. Wilder was born, as I said, with a very short stature, and he had a slew of health issues. Yet, he created a career as an actor, as a humorist, and as a traveling storyteller. In his obituary, it says this, His was a sound mind in an unsound body. He proved the eternal paradox of things. He picked up the lemons that fate had sent him and started a lemonade stand. And if you follow pop culture, then you will know that Beyonce released an album two years ago called Lemonade. It was a collection of songs that were a reflection on a dark period in her life. The implication being that this album was the lemonade that she had made with the lemons that life had handed to her. I'm sure you all have this album, Long Live Queen Bee. 
cliches are often cliche for a reason. There's some truth in them. And our passage from the book of Romans seems to be thinking along the same lines as when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. This is probably one of the most well-known and beloved passages in the Bible. And it comes to us from the weird letter of Romans. Romans is not for wimps. It is a thick, dense book, and it is very hard to preach from. The main reason that it's so hard to preach from is because Romans is essentially one big, long argument. The entire book of Romans is about this question. Who are God's people in the world today? And when you, when you pick up a verse from Romans and you pluck it away from that question and you take it out of its context, then you really run the risk of completely missing what Paul is actually trying to say. Maybe you were like me and you were raised with a form of evangelism called the Roman Road. We took these verses out of Romans and we presented the gospel to people and we would tell them that this is how they can get to heaven. And that's wonderful. The problem is, is it also communicated a half-truth. It made it seem like the book of Romans is concerned about who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And it's not. The word heaven only appears in all of Romans twice. The word hell doesn't appear in there at all. The primary purpose of Romans is not about the afterlife. It's about this life. Who are God's people in the world today? Romans was written to a group of early Christians who were trying to live out their faith in Rome. They lived in the shadow of the empire. The Christians in Rome were some of the most persecuted people in all of the ancient world. And they were struggling with how to persevere in their faith despite this persecution. And you have to remember that in order to understand what Paul is saying here. Some of you have told me that some of your favorite of my sermons have been the ones where we've walked through a passage exegetically. So here's one more for you. So if you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verse 28. Verse 28 says this, We know, that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is one of those verses that gets plastered onto wall hangings or coffee mugs or Christian t-shirts, and with good reason. It's beautiful, and it's encouraging, and it's uplifting. But I've also encountered some folks who, quite frankly, have a very shallow reading of this verse. And they seem to understand this verse as saying, if you love God, then good things will happen to you. That kind of thinking is what some people believe. It's the power of positive thinking. And it turns a relationship with God into a transaction. 
if I give my love to God, then God will give me good things in this life. And that is not what this verse is saying at all. The verse is not saying that only good things will happen to those who love God. The all things that Paul is referring to here is the suffering and the persecution that the Roman Christians are experiencing now. Paul is encouraging them that even out of the horrible things that are, they are currently experiencing, God can make good come out of even that. God can make lemonade out of lemons. Bob Hamblin's been helping me to understand the you and me and you and I thing, but he has also been helping me to understand some other things. And he gave me a, a really interesting insight this week when I was visiting him and Miss Kay. He said that in most English translations of this verse, they completely mess it up. The way that they structure the sentence in English is that they make the phrase, all things, the subject of the sentence. In the Greek, it's not all things that's the subject. It's the word God. That God is the actor, not the things themselves. And you and I know very well that faith does not make us immune from suffering. However, faith is what can see us through suffering by giving us an eternal perspective of what God can do in our lives. Some of you this morning are facing difficult, terrible situations. You are in the midst of what seems like a hopeless time in your life. I have sat with you and I have grieved with you through those. And in no way do I want to send the message to you that you're supposed to feel glad about any of that happening. That is not what this verse is saying. But what I do hope you know is that in some mysterious, glorious way, God can take those worst parts of us and turn them into something beautiful. God can take those terrible, heartbreaking situations and even, the, and even through them create something redemptive and creative and life-giving. The Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae has a song called 828. It's based on Romans 828 and it talks about how God can move through terrible circumstances and still create something good out of them. This is part of what Lecrae says. Man, I'm insecure and I'm so unsure. My motives don't be the purest. See that my little sister probably need me. I ain't been around and I ain't tried to lead her. Help me, Lord. I ain't never had no daddy. Feel like a failing father trying to raise my family. I've seen cancer take my wife's pops, and he fought so hard, and we cried so hard, but sometimes life's so dark. But he told me, boy, you keep your head up. Never let up, and never give up. And don't cry for me, because I'm going to live up in the sky. Let it all work out. 
that pain going to make you stronger? That hurt going to make you a leader? Don't, that, don't make that make you a monster. In the middle of the darkest heart is a heartless tarnished carnage. The master artist makes your mess a masterpiece regardless. It's going to all work out sooner than later. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. It's going to work out in your favor. Just keep your head to the sky. Keep your eyes on the prize. Just keep your head to the sky. Keep your eyes on the prize. I hope you know that. That God has the beautiful ability to move and work even through the valleys of life. And it's important that we remember that these Christians in Rome were in a valley. They were being persecuted and discriminated against because of their faith. Many of them were being killed and tortured. So when Paul uses these words, this is not a trite little phrase. This is grounded in real suffering that real people are experiencing so keeping with that same thought paul moves on in verse 29 but before we look at these next couple of verses keep in mind that some of these early christians were likely beginning to lose heart should we keep at this faith in jesus thing is all of this worth it are we getting persecuted for no reason are we just wasting our time those are the kind of questions in the roman christians minds as paul says this for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, maybe you're like me, and maybe you were raised in a church context where when you hear the word predestined, all the hairs on the back of your neck start to stand up. Christians can sometimes have these debates about predestination and free will and these debates seem to be just exercises in circular logic a man died and he went up to heaven and when he got to heaven he saw that there were two lines to get in and one was labeled predestination and one was labeled free will and he said well i guess i'll stand in the predestination line and he stood in the line and he got up to the front and the angel said why are you in this line? And he said, well, I, I chose to be in this line. <laughs> and the angel said, that's the other line. So he got in the other line, and he stood in that line, and he got up to the front, and that angel said, why are you in the free will line? And he said, they made me come in this line. <laughs> this debate in theology about predestination and free will was something that came up in Christian history after the Protestant Reformation. People like Martin Luther and John Calvin were speaking out against what they had seen as additions to the gospel. So they had phrases like sola scriptura, scripture alone, sola fide, faith alone, and sola gratia, 
grace alone. They wanted to affirm that, that, that salvation is from grace alone and faith alone that comes from Christ alone as attested in Scripture alone. And that's good. But this debate about predestination can sometimes, I think, distract us from what the Scripture is actually trying to say. Many of us who were raised hearing about predestination almost always link it with salvation and the afterlife. The Calvinists who believe in what's called double predestination teach that God has predestined who would be saved and go to heaven, and therefore God has also predestined who will be damned and go to hell. The Arminians reject that and say, no, you have a choice, you have free will, your future is not determined. And our passage from Romans is lobbed back and forth by these sides like a theological hot potato. But here's the thing. When you read this passage in context, this is not about heaven and hell. It is about who is God's people in the world today. And there are five enigmatic and powerful verbs used here. Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Really quickly, I want to look at these five verbs because there's a lot of power in what Paul is saying here. Paul says that God foreknew who would follow him. Now, the biblical concept of foreknowledge is not simply that God is able to look in a crystal ball and tell the future. It's not that. It's a richer idea than simply knowledge about the future. Look at what God says to the prophet Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God knew that Jeremiah would be a prophet. God foreknew that Jeremiah would serve God in this way. That's the biblical idea of foreknowledge. It's not simply knowing what's going to happen. It's not simply knowing the names on a list. It's based in love and grace. It's God saying that Jeremiah and the Roman Christians and the folks at First Baptist Church are so known by God that they have a calling on their lives that has been set since before we were born. That's what it means for God to foreknow. And similarly, Paul says that these early Christians have been predestined. But look at what he says here in your Bible. Predestined to what? Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The Greek word used here for image is the Greek word icon. An icon is something that reflects back on something greater. It's the same word used in the Greek translation of this verse from the first creation story in Genesis. God created humankind in his image, icon. In the image, icon, of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
being made in the image of God isn't a statement about what we look like or what God looks like. Being an image bearer for God means to be God's people in the world, to bear God's message and heart to our community. And Paul here uses the same word to tell these early Christians that they have been given a destiny, a destiny to bear the image of God into the world. That's what he means by predestined. Which then leads us into Paul saying that these early Christians are called. This word that Paul uses for called is deeply rooted in the story of the Hebrew Bible. The story of God calling the people of Israel to be God's people in the world. The people of Israel were called. They were chosen. They were elected to spread God's purposes to the nations. And a lot of the book of Romans is about how the church now has that calling. It's not that the church has replaced Israel. It's that God's calling and God's chosen people has been expanded to include those who profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Then Paul says that the early Christians who God foreknew and that has been predestined and have been called are now justified. The word that Paul uses here harkens back to the Old Testament again. The people of God had sin that kept them from living out their calling as God's people, and that sin had to be dealt with. Justice had to be served, and once justice had been served, then those who were formerly guilty are now justified in the eyes of the judge. Look at what the prophet Isaiah says about the coming Messiah. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Christ took upon himself our brokenness and our sin, and because of Jesus, we are justified before God. And now, we are not only saved from damnation, we are saved to vocation. We are saved to our vocation and our calling to be God's people in the world. And finally, Paul says, that those God has foreknew, he has predestined. Those who he has predestined, he has called. Those who he has called, he has justified. And those he has justified, he has glorified. What does it mean to be glorified? Are we going to look like Roma Downey on Touched by an Angel? Is it every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings? Well, the writer of 1 Peter, the passage that Betty read for us earlier, links together the idea of God's glory with suffering. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings 
so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. For Peter, God's glory is revealed when God's people suffer and yet persevere in their faith, which is exactly the situation that these Roman Christians find themselves in. And thousands of Christians still today find themselves in the same situation. And this glory, this glory is not something that is stuck in the past or the future, by the way. The verb glorified used here is a very interesting word in the Greek. It's in the aorist tense. And what that means is that it is an action that is not bound by time. In other words, Paul is saying this. Because of Christ and his sacrifice, you have been glorified. When you live out your calling as God's people, you are being glorified. And at the final resurrection of all things, you will be glorified. It is past, present, and future glory that Paul is talking about here. St. Irenaeus said, The glory of God is a human being fully alive. So, dear friends, God makes lemonade out of lemons. God is still in the creation business. And God makes beautiful things out of dust and mud. And you and I, you and I are called to something. We are called to be conformed into the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. That is our job. It is a job that God foreknew about us. It's a job that God has predestined for us. It's a job that God has called us to do. It's a job that we can do because we are justified before God. And it is a job that we do because it glorifies God. So here's what I want you to take away. No matter where you find yourself in life right now, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, no matter what you have gained, no matter what you have lost, no matter what you are grieving, no matter what you are letting go of, no matter what is going on in your life, you are never, ever, ever, ever out of the reach of the redemptive love of God. As Paul says in just a few verses later, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. One last thing. You all are about to enter a time when you are going to figure out what are we supposed to do. This. This is what you're supposed to do. You're going to have a lot of meetings about budgets and personnel and finances and all that stuff. That's good. But never, ever, ever let all of that stuff 
lose the focus of this. You are called, First Baptist Church, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ your Lord. And everything you do is in service of that calling. It has been predestined for you since before 1834. If you all want to know what to do in the next season of your life as a church, look to Jesus. Look to him and you will find who you are called to be. Pray with me. God, we ask that you would continue to move and work among us. That you would help us to constantly have before us what our calling is, the calling that you have placed on our lives since before we were born. And that calling is to be conformed and transformed by Jesus Christ. I pray for every person here right now. I pray that they know that grace in their life and that if they don't, that they will cling to you and they will reach out and accept that grace into their hearts. And God, for the sisters and brothers of First Baptist Church, help them to know that this is what they are made to do. They are called to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.